Amen. Amen. It is good to be back from last week at uh, away at a conference, just kind of digging in to, to learn how to teach God's Word better, and it's so good to be back. We've been in a series called The Church, and in week one, we really spent time defining the church, and we saw that the Bible, when it speaks about the church, speaks in two senses or from two perspectives about the church, that in one sense, the church is made up of all believers everywhere. The big C, capital C church, the universal church. This is actually uh, in the Apostles' Creed, the language it used was the, the Catholic church. And you know, did you know that the word Catholic actually had nothing to do with popes or priests, but was rather simply the Latin word for universal or global, the church everywhere. But There's also a second sense in which we speak about the church, and that is the local gathering of believers who share a common faith, a common commitment, a common mission, a gathering of believers who worship just as we did and who share a common doctrine and practice, a common relationship to one another, and a common mission to extend the gospel the world. And last week, Nick did an excellent job walking us through the mission of the church. And we looked at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, where Jesus gave his followers the Great Commission. And just as a reminder, here's what Jesus said. Here's what the Great Commission is. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And here's the promise, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That the mission of the church is not simply to do good things in the world, it's not to be liked by the world, and it's certainly not to be a country club for people of faith. (laughs) But the mission of the church is to make disciples, and we're told there through going with the gospel, through baptizing as Jesus commanded, and then through teaching to obey everything Jesus commanded. That last part is part of what we're doing when we gather together. We're opening up the word of Jesus, and we're looking to see what he has said and looking to obey everything that he has said. And that means the Great Commission takes a long time, lots of time. We need to think long-term when we think about the Great Commission because we also need to realize that the Great Commission can't be done alone. No one of us can fully fulfill God's Great Commission because as God's people go about the Great Commission, a community of faith is formed, a people, a community and family of disciples making other, of other disciples. In other words, the Great Commission always creates a great community. As the Great Commission happens, a community is formed. So the question I want us to consider together this morning is, what sort of community, what sort of life, what sort of church does it look like to be a disciple-making church? What does it look like to be a church where we're going, baptizing, and teaching to obey everything Jesus commanded? What does it look like to have a community the way the Bible defines it for us? Unfortunately, the scriptures actually offer us a picture of this in Acts chapter 2. So find, if you have a Bible, a device, whatever you've got, find Acts chapter 2. 
And we're going to read together starting in verse 41. To give you a little bit of context, we're at the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has come in power upon the apostle Peter. He has stood up and he's preached the gospel to the crowds and they're cut to the heart. And they go, what do we do? And and Peter says to repent and be baptized. And then here's what happens. Here's what happens in the aftermath of this grand uh, falling falling down of the Spirit upon these people. Acts 2.41. And those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And in these two verses, I believe we see a perfect balance that churches struggle to meet. Because some churches talk a lot about evangelism, and others talk about discipleship as if those things can be separated. And yet here we see the early church only 40 days following the resurrection and and ascension of Jesus committing to God's mission through preaching the gospel, but also committing to a community together. Committing to outreach, yes, but also committing to inreach, to life with one another. Because the Great Commission is not a call to simply make converts, but to make disciples. Not to simply add names to the roles of heaven, but to fully form followers of Jesus. A church as it grows wide, must also grow deep. A church, as it grows out, must also grow in. And verse 42 of Acts 2 actually offers us two pillars of a growing community. Think about these two pillars of the life of the church. Here's your central point in your notes. Disciples grow in community marked by fellowship and fellowship. Disciples grow in community marked by fellowship and fellowship. And we're going to look at each of these pillars together. Let's consider first fellowship. And, and I know, you'll look, you'll see, that's a made-up word. Google told me that all week long with the little red squiggle underneath as I was typing this on Google Docs. And that's okay, but it seems to be the best way to express that the life and community of the church must be uniquely Jesus-centered and Jesus-defined. Here's the definition of fellowship, life with God as followers of Jesus. In other words, that the community of the church, one of our pillars needs to be to make us better disciples and followers of Jesus. That's why we get together. Look at what verse 41 says. Notice this. Look at this. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now, my English people, notice the E-D words that happened there. They received the words of Peter, they were baptized, and then they were added to the number of the church. You see, that? that's sort of a basic guide of the Christian life, isn't it? You receive the word, you're then baptized according to Jesus' command, and then you're, you're added to the community of a local church. It's pretty straightforward, but for so many of us, that's where our life as a follower of Jesus ends. We're like, well, I'm saved, I've been baptized, I'm, I'm here. But Acts 2 goes on and shows that the Christian life doesn't stop there. Look at verse 42 again. And they. So that's the 3,000 who were saved, baptized, added to the membership of the church. What did they do? 
they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Consider that verb, devoted. They devoted themselves to these things. What would, what would you say you're devoted to? Maybe your spouse, your family, your job, your hobby, whatever it is. But what about the list in front of us? Particularly, consider what's first on the list, that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, we saw that as Peter had preached that they had received his word, but that there was more than just the message of salvation for them to receive and believe and be lived out. In fact, the Great Commission is being put on display as they're continuing to be taught how to live out everything Jesus commanded. So what does fellowship look like for us? In your notes here, fellowship means studying God's word together. That being a community built on fellowship means we need to be a community that is reading, studying God's word together. True biblical Christianity was never meant to be a raised hand, sign card, pray to prayer, one and done type faith. But rather, a true life of a true follower of Jesus is one of devotion to the things of God. None of us would say we're simply devoted to our wife just because, well, I married her back then, right? <laughs> devotion is an ongoing affection and commitment and life. If we were to look at our calendars, would it say that we're devoted to the things of God? If we were to look at a transcript of everything we said over the last year, would it say that we're devoted to the things of God? What about how we educate our kids do our business? Would it say that we're devoted to the apostles' teaching? If not, then Acts 2.42 is meant to be a gracious wake-up call to us from our Heavenly Father. The call to turn from how we're living and to turn to Christ in renewed devotion and faith. Because the command that Jesus gave at the very start of his ministry actually is meant to mark the whole life of a disciple of Jesus. Consider this from Mark 1. 15. Look at this. This is the first thing Jesus said when he came on the scene. He said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And that's not simply meant to be something you did and doesn't really impact you anymore, but rather an ongoing, I am repenting and trusting and believing. I am continuing on from that built upon that foundation. Any community of disciples must have our foundation built upon the apostles' teaching. People seeking to follow Jesus together must live out Jesus' commands together. The foundation of the church is not my word or any man's word, but God's word through his chosen servants. In fact, Jesus even said before he died and resurrected and ascended into heaven, that his followers would be people of the book. A book written by those who he'd share his last supper with, eyewitnesses and firsthand recipients of his ministry. See, you'll see this all the time. Many people want to pit Jesus against the Bible. They're going to go, well, I really like Jesus, but I'm not a big fan of that whole book, the Bible thing, right? And yet, it's funny, they'll start quoting to you verses from 
the Bible, right? They'll go, well, Jesus said to love one another. And you'll go, well, where'd you hear that? Or Jesus tell me to care for the poor. Where'd you hear that? (laughs) Because it's funny, they're really no different than the sort of hypocritical religion they're trying to push away from. They're picking and choosing, they're just picking and choosing different parts than the others before them were picking and choosing. Because as we go through the Gospels, we see Jesus was a Bible guy. (laughs) He loved the Bible. When the Sadducees and the Pharisees challenged him, what did he do? He said, have you not read what was said to you by God? And then he quotes the Old Testament to them. But you know, Jesus even talked about the New Testament. He laid some foundations by what he told his apostles. Look at this in John chapter 16. Look at this. This is Jesus. He's celebrating his last supper here. Uh, He's with his disciples in the upper room. And here's what he said. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Notice he's speaking to particular people here. You here in the upper room with me, the spirit's going to guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He'll glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. There you have it. Look at this. From the mouth of Jesus, he says the Holy Spirit is going to bring Jesus' teaching to his followers that he was speaking to and that they would declare it then unto us. The Spirit to them, then to us. And there's so many more verses we could add up to this point. But here's here's Jesus' point for us. He's telling us that your red-letter Bible doesn't go far enough. You know, what? if you've ever looked at a Bible bookstore, there's red-letter Bibles you can get that have the the words of Jesus and the Gospels, basically, and then a few other parts in red. But if you truly wanted all of Jesus' words in red, you need to just highlight the whole book. Because, friends, the Old Testament was his words, and he just told us, that the words the apostles would write down are ultimately from him through the Holy Spirit, fully inspired and infallible. And it was to this that the early church devoted themselves, and it is to this we must devote ourselves as well. We're to be people all about the book, a people who love God's word, all of God's word, even the parts in the book of Genesis that we might not think have anything to do with us. That's why we've been modeling this over the last several months. We must be people who long to learn its depths and live it out in our life. And that's part of the reason we even gather together at all, is to hear God's word preached. I love this, Nehemiah chapter 8, in the midst of this huge revival that was going on among God's people, defines preaching in this way. Look at this, Nehemiah 8.8. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. Friends, I love this. It gets me excited because preaching isn't about offering a TED Talk in Jesus' name or offering an encouraging, uplifting message to make us feel better about ourselves. No, when we gather together, we want the word read clearly so we can understand it. And then it said that Nehemiah would give it sense, meaning explain it. Help us to walk away understanding it so that we can better live it out 
in our life. In other words, if you walk away impressed by my eloquence, my humor, my funny stories, but you don't understand the word of God better than I have failed you. Anybody who would stand behind here, if you walk away impressed by all of these other things, but not by the word that they preached, then friends, it is all a waste. We must devote ourselves to the Bible by studying it together. This needs to be true. In everything we do, we should be out to understand the word and better apply it to our lives because there's nothing better that we could give ourselves toward. But there is a second pillar we often forget. There's the pillar of fellowship. We need to know the word, study the word. Yes, that's good. That's right. But there's two pillars to a good, a biblical, faith-filled life in the church. And it's, the second one is fellowship or life with one another as followers of Jesus. You need fellowship, which is helping us to follow God and life with God as followers of Jesus. But we need fellowship, helping us to live life with one another as followers of Jesus. Now, Fellowship is a very churchy word, isn't it? Now, it is in the Bible, Acts 2.42, right? But regardless, it is an experience that is universal because fellowship is simply, at least the purpose of it, is community that disciples you. Community that disciples you, and everyone is being discipled by a community of some sort. You want a clear example from this past year? How many of us before this last year knew anything about viruses, masks, CDC regulations, or anything having to do with that prior to about a year ago? (laughs) I don't blame you, right? Sometimes you know more than you wish you knew, right? And none of these comments are to talk about the truth or falsehood of any of that. It's simply to say that what you surround yourself with, what you hear about, And what the people around you are talking about has a direct impact on you. What you think, what you do. Again, we are shaped and formed by the community we're around. This is true for everybody. It's true in the friends we hang out with. You may see this. When you hang out a long time with somebody, their interests and their dry sense of humor can kind of start to become yours a little bit, right? that no one grows alone. You don't grow into what you think or believe or feel or do in a vacuum. And I think it's important that all of us realize this because you're going to hear this from the world. The world's going to look and go, well, you only believe what you do because you go to church among those people. And if you weren't among those people, you wouldn't believe any of this. It's like, okay. It's as if it's as if people of faith are the only one influenced by their community, not, not, not people out in the world, right? And yet, it's interesting, you at statistics, if the, if the church is the only place where people are influenced by their community, tell me, why do the majority of college freshmen coming out of their college freshman year almost completely believe identically about economics, morality, or any of the pressing issues of our day? I mean, maybe there might be some pressures that they might be getting there, right? Some pressures, some discipling, some influence from people around them, right? None of us are free from being discipled in community with other people. But the question is, what are we being discipled into? And is it true? Is it good? 
and is it beautiful? See, Acts 2.42 shows us that the early church was formed by their community. 3,000 were saved, added to their number, and then these disciples, new and old, devoted themselves to four things. The apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And notice what's in the middle of the list, sort of the middle, the meat of the sandwich. The fellowship and the breaking of bread. Now, the fellowship here is likely a reference to the local church community that was present there at Pentecost. It doesn't say they devoted themselves to fellowship, though they did that, but they devoted themselves to the fellowship. The word here is a noun, not a verb. It's a thing that they devoted themselves to, a particular fellowship, community, family of disciples. And notice what came out of this devotion. Verse 43, Acts 2, verse 43. Look what happened. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. See it. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. It's almost as if when they got their community right, they got their mission right. Did you see that? They were doing these things, living in this community, and people were being saved. It's almost like maybe the local church is actually central to God's mission and not sort of apart from it. But notice this. For these early disciples and for us, fellowship means sharing together through hospitality. Fellowship means sharing together through hospitality. Look at verse 44 and 45. You see the believers selling their stuff in order to help meet the needs of those who were around them who had a need. And now, this verse is very popular in our day because I've seen a lot of folks point at it and go, Well, look, this supports socialism, big government, high taxes, coerced giving. Exactly. No, thank you. That is exactly the opposite of what is going on here because, friends, this is gladly and voluntary, not out of coercion or fear. This is within a local church body given in service to God, not given out to a system of government that ultimately denies and defies God. This is people out of love for people in their community, sharing their eggs, their groceries, building ramps, whatever it is, not giving towards some big bureaucracy at the top that really is kind of shredding most of that giving right off the top for themselves anyway before they give it out to other people in need. This is actually hard work <laughs> that's going on in this. This is, this is sacrifice. This is difficult. This is done in love and in care. And I truly believe that our church models this in many ways. We've done meal trains for people, our food basket ministry, the willingness of our members to coordinate food to others and give to needs, often with no questions asked, is incredible. We've done this and coordinated this, and it's a mark of growth in the Holy Spirit among us when this happens. The early church shared together not just their stuff, but they also did it through hospitality. Look at verse 46. You'll see a, a phrase repeated here that you might have heard before. 
And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they receive their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. Notice there, breaking bread. What was a noun in verse 42 is now a verb in verse 46. They broke bread together. Now, you'll see some, some commentators that, that believe that this is the Lord's Supper being referred to. I do believe the early church celebrated the Lord's Supper, but I'm not really sure that's what Acts 2 has in mind here. But rather, I think the breaking of bread probably describes uh, an early version of a church potluck. <laughs> in other words, people eating together, enjoying life together. If you look throughout the Gospels, it's interesting that in the Gospels, Jesus ate with his disciples a dinner and then after dinner, took the Lord's Supper with them as if there was a meal and then there was a separate time in which the supper was observed. It's possible many in the early church did this as well, where they combined these together, but they were still very separate uh, times together. But we should note how often the Bible emphasizes eating together. God loves food. <laughs> Jesus ate with his disciples. Paul ate with his disciples. And we're actually told to eat with one another. You can mark these down and look at these later, but 2 Peter 2.13 and Jude 12 refer to the early church as celebrating love feasts together. And it said, hey, there are these false teachers coming into your love feast and ruining them. He said they're like clouds without rain, twice dead trees, and selfish shepherds. But there were these feasts that happened where they would eat together and they probably had fried chicken right? And they enjoyed life together. Friends, God's people grow together through sharing together. So let me ask you this. When was the last time you ate with another one of God's people? Friends, it doesn't have to be extravagant. You don't have to pick up and go to Harper House. Discipleship can happen at the McDonald's. I know that might be crazy to believe, or it can happen in your living room. Because friends, the early church was certainly not extravagant often in their time together. Because the purpose of them eating together was, yes, to meet the needs of those around them, but also to grow in relationship with one another, whether in restaurants or in our homes. We need to make room to eat together with God's people. It's interesting. You see Jesus. I'd encourage you, next time you read through the Gospels, look at all the times he is eating with someone. God was always eating together with someone. And that's a model for us because disciples grow in fellowship and sharing together through hospitality, but fellowship's more than just a meal. Fellowship's also supporting one another through prayer. Supporting one another through prayer. Remember, the church devoted itself to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and finally, the prayers. Do we know one another well enough to even pray for one another here? Do we know what's going on? And do we ever let the mask off enough in order to share areas of our life that need prayer and support? See, many of us want other people to take the mask off because if they take it off and I keep mine on, then, then, then they feel comfortable. But it might involve us taking ours off first in order for them to be open with us. So many times we come into worship and we want to convince everybody that things are okay. How's your family? Good. How's your life? 
You're good. How's your heart? Great. That's right. That's exactly right. We say, hey, my hope is set where it needs to be, but let me say something. You're not fooling anybody. <laughs> One, we're all connected on social media, and so the wild stuff you post, we all see too, <laughs> right? But the gift of biblical community means we're meant to be a place where the mask can come off. If the church is doing as we're supposed to do, we shouldn't be surprised when there are sins and struggles of others among us because if the church is meant to be a sanctuary for sinners and a hospital for the sick, none of us walk into the top floor of the Murray Hospital and go, why are there sick people here? Right? We should never be surprised when we find messed up people here because that's where we're supposed to be. There's a church in Philadelphia, and it's a historic church. It's 10th Presbyterian uh, in downtown Philadelphia, and they, they have an awesome thing. They, I know they've often opened their services with a reading like this, and I believe it's an attitude that every believer should have. When we begin to remove the illusion of perfection that we want other people to see and let others see right into our souls. Look at this. They would often read this in their service. To all who are spiritually weary and seek rest, to all who mourn and long for comfort, to all who struggle and desire victory, to all who sin and need a savior, to all who are strangers and want fellowship, to all who hunger and thirst after righteousness, to whoever will come, this church opens wide her doors and offers her welcome in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is this how we greet one another? Blemishes, weariness, sins, struggles. We're ready to meet them with prayer support, but also with the hope of the gospel. And are we a, and are we a place where these sort of things can be shared and not spread everywhere? Disciples grow through fellowship, life with God as followers of Jesus, and disciples grow through fellowship, life together as followers of Jesus. And so I hope you're sitting here going, how can our church build a community like this? That's what I want us to pray for and pursue and work toward. And there's lots of ways to do this, but God has really birthed one, one simple step among the leadership here to push us forward because we want to build these two pillared communities by bringing back life groups here at Crossroads to be a place where we can grow together in fellowship and in fellowship. Because hear me, small group Bible studies can be a good thing, but they often miss life together. Community-based groups are great, but they often miss the life-changing power of God's Word. Life groups are going to be a way that we seek to live out Acts 2.42 and to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. And here's, here's all I'm asking. Here's all I'm asking. We're going to kind of launch these in the fall coming up in September, and we want to give it a semester shot to see how it goes and adjust them as they go. And they're going to meet throughout the week, various frequencies, and you've already seen what they're going to do. They're going to study God's word together, share together through hospitality, and support one another through prayer. Some are going to meet at home. Some are going to meet here in our building. But regardless, it's meant to be a place where the mask can come off 
and we can grow together. This doesn't mean we're not going to have Bible studies anymore for men and women's and our youth and kids group, but life groups have a whole different goal than these because oftentimes Bible study is all about filling your head with information transfer, and that's good. There's nothing wrong with that, but disciples are formed when fellowship and fellowship collide. And so I'd encourage you, there's sign-ups on the bulletin board. When you go out, just put your name and number on there, and here's some more info as time goes on, saying, hey, I want to be a part of this. I want to hear more about this. We're gonna be, I'm going to be posting some info later today that walks through kind of how this looks. But I really do think this is something that as I've been hearing from folks here and praying and thinking through with our leadership, we need something where we can grow both deep and wide. We can grow together as we grow out, as we pursue God, we do it together. And so if I can give you an application, it's simply to sign up to get in some form of community here. And I think the easiest way to do that is through these life groups. Do it, give it a shot, and see what God will do through us. But let me speak in closing to those of you who have a mask on. And I'm not meaning the COVID-related mask. I hope you're seeing what I mean, right? The, the, the spiritual, the I'm okay, the I don't need help, the I don't struggle mask. I will say, if 2020's taught us anything, it's that living life with a mask on is no fun, right? Let me break some hard news to you. Your front that you're okay and you don't have any problems isn't fooling anybody. Because the gospel of Jesus has already outed you as a mess. Because the whole point of the cross is to display how heinous and terrible our sin is and to show that we are sinners, but also to simultaneously shout that God's love and grace is greater than our sin. Proverbs 18 tells us that there's one who sticks closer than a brother. And this is one who takes the light we try to hide in and shines light into it to expose who we are for our own healing. There's one who knows everything you've ever done or thought and yet still desires a relationship with you. He's seen how big of a mess you are and yet he's not given up on you. He's declared his love for you and while you were still a sinner, he died for you. And Jesus died on the cross there in your place, taking your sins upon himself and rising again on the third day so that the gateway to eternal life and communion with God would be open. Here's what Jesus had to say. John 17, 3. He said this, And this is eternal life, that, I, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Notice this. Eternal life, he doesn't mention no sickness, though that is a part of it. He doesn't mention freedom from sin, though that is a part of it. He said the greatest thing about eternal life is that you get God. And to be in a relationship with God forever. So many of us want the gifts of God Life forever, no sickness, no sin in heaven when we die. But do we really want the giver of those gifts? Because Jesus has died and risen again to make a way for you to be able to enjoy 
communion with God forever. What a gift. Because you were created for life and growth with God in a community of believers. Jesus created you to know him, love him, and serve him in a community of people. And Jesus desires to encounter you and to place you in a community of faith where he can transform you. This is, think of it as the great physician prescribing you. Yes, come to Jesus in faith, but also grow in community together. His medicine for the sickness of our soul. The application of this sermon is to step into the light today. Maybe you've never stepped before Jesus and confessed your sin and turned to him in faith and repentance. That's a starting place for you today. He, he will meet you in the light, and he's not surprised by anything you bring before him, but he's ready to take it if you will lay it upon him. His shoulders on that cross are able to take it, empty it of its power, and raise you up just as he rose up to newness of life. But for others, the simple application of this is stop trying to hide who you are, what you've done, and step into the light and find that when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And one of the ways he does that is through us together, encouraging, praying, sharing, studying together as a family of faith. Let's pray together. Father God, the community that you call us to is hard. If all we desire to do is just fill a seat, then Lord, that's not what you want for our life. You don't want us to simply fill a seat. But Lord, you want us in community to gather life together with your people for your glory and our joy and our good. So I pray we would take the mask off. Whatever it is that we think nobody here knows and that you would never accept us because of, I pray we would see that you're willing to accept any and all who come to you through repentance and faith. You say, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and you will give us rest. But Lord, we also pray for those who know that in their heads. Maybe they've even believed and trusted in your gospel, but we still are worried about what other people will think about us. May we, one, be a community of faith. We don't have to worry about that. We're willing to open wide our arms for the good and repentance of others. But Lord, may we be ready to receive one another in love and in care. Lord, Life groups are just a program we think will do that, but ultimately birth in us this sort of community devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. And as we stand and worship you this morning, we pray that you'll receive all the glory. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing verse 1 and chorus to our God our response is our God is greater and we'll purpose to follow him and his ways amen
turned into wine. Open the eyes of the blind. There's no one like you. None like you. Our God is greater. Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. Our God is healer, awesome in power. Our God, our God. Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. Our God is healer, awesome in power. Our God, our God. We're gonna sing that. Let's go ahead and sing the bridge on it. It's the word of God. Carrie, can you get that up for us? Thank you. Let's remember who goes before us. And if our God, and if our God is for us, then what could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, then what could stand against? And if our God is for us, then what could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, and what could stand again? Then what could stand again? Okay, let's end it with our God. Raise him up. Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. Our God is healer, awesome in power. One more time, our God. Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. Our God is healer, awesome in power. Our God, our God is greater. Amen. Amen. He's greater. Let's give him praise. Amen. God, God is great and he is good and we're so thankful for his word and that he's given us a people to grow with. Just three quick things before we close. One, if you're new with us, uh, there's a welcome desk right out in the lobby with a little get connected card. We'd love to have you fill that out have a record of your visits. We can follow up with you, pray for you, uh, get you connected if you have more questions uh, about our church. And we have a little gift for you if you fill that out and leave that with us. Second, thank you for y'all for your giving. Uh, pray that you'll continue to, to do that generously and for the glory of God. Again, online giving info there are baskets at both ends of the door. Last thing, today you may not know is Nick's last Sunday with us. Oh, I know, right? Wasn't that good to hear the awe, right? So he heads back to North Carolina, North Carolina, right? Always forget where that seminary is. But uh, in, uh, in, North, in North Carolina, he heads back Friday. So one, we wanted one to let Nick know that even though he may live and have family in Hoptown, he knows the more fun end of the families here in Trigg County, right? <laughs> That's right. Everybody knows the Trigg County cousins are a whole lot more fun, right? But also wanted to sort of commission him here at the end of the service because he goes into his last semester at seminary. Who knows where the Lord uh, will send him 
uh, beyond this. So I want Nick to come forward. And if you feel comfortable coming up and laying hands on him, we'd encourage you to. If not, you're welcome to stay where you are. If that's a concern, if COVID's a concern, you can reach out your hands. But we want to pray over Nick as sort of our closing here as we commission him uh, back to school and back to wherever God would would call him to be. And again, you can come forward if you feel comfortable. If not, you can just extend a hand wherever you are. And we're going to pray together for Nick. Thankful for your call on Nick's life. We want to pray that you would be with him as he heads back to school, help him in his studies. And Lord, whether you bring him back back here to West Kentucky or to the West Coast or across the world, we pray your hand and your blessing upon him. We pray your grace upon him. And we pray to you who's able to strengthen him according to your gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, that you would help him, keep him faithful. Lord, that you would, according to the revelation of the mystery, kept secret for long, but that you've disclosed to us, Lord, that you would help him to serve you faithfully and obediently, to bring about the obedience of his faith. And we pray this all to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen.